having me this morning and um, I hope we can all be blessed together. Um, there's a theme happening here at Refresh and, and I'm going to continue with that theme and, and, and talk about what I see as a soldier. So let's um, bow our heads and, and just invite the Holy Spirit to be with us. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity to uh, worship you together. Lord, we invite the Holy Spirit in to be with us and I just pray that uh, you put the wise words on my lips so that I can bless everyone here and be truly blessed myself. I just pray that um, the words that I speak encourage everyone and just bring us closer to you. Uh, thank you for, for all your love, Jesus. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Bruce and I have four sons and um, interestingly, all four of them joined the military. They all joined the army, so they've all been soldiers. Two are still serving members. And I thought, I'll talk about some of the characteristics of a soldier, because many people probably think of the great characteristic of a soldier as being brave, a brave soldier. And whilst that is true, I think there's so, many, so much more to it. So what I see as characteristics of a soldier through observing my sons in action is a soldier is loyal, they are brave, they are strong, they are dutiful and they face adversity, trouble and pain. But most importantly, and this is the thing that I think is most significant about a soldier, is that they are obedient. One of three of our sons are enlisted, have been or are enlisted soldiers, and one of our sons is a, an officer. So he's in charge, which doesn't go down well, let me tell you. <laughs> There's a lot of debate over whether or not he deserves a salute or not. So, but the soldiers have to be obedient to the person that's directing the orders. Because if they weren't, and if, if Robert, say for instance, who's the officer, gave an order to his troop that he's com in command of, and they all decided they weren't going to be obedient, that this lot were going to run this way and this lot were going to run that way, then it would be a calamity and they'd probably all end up running around the corner and shooting each other. So you, one of the most important things about being a soldier is obedience above all else. You can be really brave and strong, but if you're not obedient, you're not going to be a good soldier. How does that apply to me? How does it apply to you? Well, how, what does the word soldier mean? Do we think of ourselves as a soldier? I really don't. But when I think of it in those terms, then maybe we could think of it applying to us and, and, and how it might affect our lives. Now, I'm challenging you all not to start yawning, well, at least within the first maybe three scriptures. I'm going to share some scriptures with you. Philippians 4, in Philippians 4 it says, Rejoice the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. In Luke 12, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Matthew 6, therefore I tell you, don't, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, it, it is, is not life more than food, the body more than clothes. Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. 
and yet your heavenly Father still feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is anyone yawning yet? John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Second Thessalonians. Uh, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with, you, with all of you. In Psalms, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. First Peter, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. I could go on with hundreds more and I don't even know. I, have, I do not know how many references to worry and concern there are in the Bible. I bet Murray Hunter knows. Where's Murray? I bet. Oh, good one, Murray. I bet if I asked him, he would know and he'd tell you every statistic that went with it. But I don't know. And what do they mean? What does it mean? All of those scriptures that I've just repeated, and as I said, there's hundreds more. What does that mean, trust and worry God? And what does it, what, how does that connect with being a soldier? Well, I'm going to share a little story about myself and then I'll sort of just unpack a little bit more. In 2011, I was part of a very dynamic team here in Chaplaincy, working with Neil and Murray and, and just loving, loving what I was doing, loving working with, with awesome young people in this school and wonderful support staff. Loved it, enjoyed everything that I did. But, and for, for faint of heart, I will be very delicate in my description, I started to develop, shall we call it, ladies' problems. And this was affecting my work because it was affecting me in a very bad way that I was having to run to the bathroom regularly and I, wasn't be, I was running out of meetings and I wasn't being able to, to focus on what I was doing because these ladies' problems had overtaken my, my body. End of a, I'd been to the doctor and, and she was telling me that, you know, you're, you're getting older, Daryl. You're getting ready for menopause, so this is going to happen and um, just, you know, buckle up and get ready for the ride. And that's what I thought was going to be happening with me and I wasn't very happy, but I knew that it was part of ageing. So the Christmas holidays came and nothing changed for me except that this situation seemed to get worse. I returned to school um, in 2012 and it's always busy. Chaplaincy is crazy at the beginning of the year and I really don't think I was very helpful at all. So it's probably the opportunity now to say sorry, Neil and Murray, that I really was a bit missing in action because I was exhausted. I was anemic and I was having to run to the bathroom. As I said, I'll keep it, keep it neat for the young, young ears and, and the faint at heart. But I was really in a, in a bad way and I was just not functioning. And I was, I was so tired. I had, we had school camps, we had all this stuff to do and I just kept having to disappear and, you know, this, it just wasn't good. It wasn't, wasn't happening for me. So I'd, I went to my GP and, and, she, and I just said, I want to go and see a gynaecologist because this just is not good and it's not normal. I shouldn't have to be, I can't function at work properly. 
So she referred me to a doctor that I had been to many years before and I felt confident with her and, and I still do. So she examined me and, and she's very down to earth and she said, oh, Daryl, for goodness sake, she said, you don't have to put up with this nonsense anymore. She said, this is the 21st century. We, we've got things to help you. So she booked me in for a day procedure um, and it, it was just involving just a bit of a, a check-up and a clean-out and an and a insertion of a device which was going to help me with those problems. Was that neat enough, girls? <laughs> I didn't shock the boys. <laughs> so I, I went in for this, this procedure and this procedure was going to hopefully solve my problem and I was hoping it would because Bruce and I had booked this great holiday. We were going to Europe because, shocked as you may be, I was turning 50. So I was, yes, thank you, good response. So I was turning 50 and it was our 30th wedding anniversary and we had booked this bus trip around Europe. And I knew if I did not get this problem rectified, I was not going to be able to travel on a bus because that was not going to be practical and it wasn't going to be, it would have been terrible. So I had this procedure and um, it worked. It was great. So Bruce and I flew over to Europe and we had a fabulous time and we went on this bus trip and travelled around and during this bus trip we munched our way through Europe eating every possible food that was offered to us and I started to get somewhat bigger and my tummy started to protrude and I'm thinking well you can't eat the Fritterolls pizza or pavlova without something happening and that's what happened. I had this great big distended tummy and I'd not had that before. I'd always had a reasonably fat, flat tummy. So that was the first sort of change that had... That was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? <laughs> so that, that was sort of the first change that, that happened to me. And I thought, I don't like turning 50. I've got a gut. Well, then, one day Bruce said to me, sweetheart, I don't want to be rude, but you've got a moustache. <laughs> so... I thought, thanks, darling. <laughs> what am I thanks for letting me know. <laughs> so I looked in the mirror, oh, I do have a, a moustache. So I then, in Europe, had to find a product that would help me with this. And that's not easy, because even to find a Panadol in another country is really hard. But anyway, we did. We, we went seeking, and we did find something which helped me through that. And I thought, this is great. I'm turning 50. I've got a big fat gut and a, and a hairy lip. This is great. <laughs> So that was, that was how it was going. So we continued on our journey and we returned home at the end of June and it was a great trip. Got home at the end of June and on the 5th of July, and I'm giving numbers here, not that I'm going to test you on them, just so that you can get a bit of a timeline. And on the 5th of, uh, the 5th of July, I had my post-op check with my gynaecologist just to um, make sure that everything was in situ, that everything was where it should be and that everything was fine. So I went to see her and she examined me and she was happy and she said I'll see you in five years everything's as it should be because this device that I had um, lasts for five years so I was happy she was happy on I went and then I returned to we were at work and things were happening and I think it was year seven camp I was on and I was feeling exhausted and I just thought oh, I'm so tired I've had this great big holiday and I've come back exhausted I can't tell anyone I'm tired they're all going to say you've just had three months off so I, I was exhausted and thankfully, mercy, they gave me the camera, not a group, so I could take photos and then sit down for a minute and I was just feeling terrible. 
I got a chest infection and I got some antibiotics and this chest infection just wouldn't clear. And guess what happened? Every time I coughed, I wet myself. And I thought, turn 50, I'm fat, got hairy lip, I wet myself. And I was so ticked off, I thought, I do not believe this. And it didn't happen to my mother, I thought, that is really not fair. So here I was, <coughs> having to stop myself weeing every time I coughed. So, I continued on, I had another course of antibiotics, I was still really tired, and I then started to get a bit of pain across the bottom of my abdomen, and it was quite, quite painful. A lot of people say, what type of pain? It was like a Chinese burn type pain across my abdomen. And I told Bruce about it. I said, oh, I've got this pain here and I'm still weeing and I'm still hairy and I'm still fat. <laughs> and, 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 he, I, and then I went, I felt what I thought was a lump. And I said, okay. So I went to the doctor. I didn't say anything first of all. I went to the doctor and I said, can you just examine me? So she had a bit of a feel and examined me and did all the things that doctors do to ladies. And she said, well, I don't think there's anything. I wouldn't worry about it. And if it doesn't clear up, just come back in a few months. Just let things settle down. I don't think it's anything. Didn't do a test, didn't do anything. So I went home and I waited another week and I was still coughing and peeing and doing all the things. And I still had the pain. And I said to Bruce, I want you just to feel my tummy. Now, by this stage, we're right at the beginning of August. So we're only a month later. So at the beginning of August, and I said, can you just feel my tummy? So I lay on the bed, and he felt my tummy, and he went mental. He said, that is ridiculous. He said, it's like, his description was, an upturned kidney dish. It was this lump that we could feel across here. So I said, yeah, I know. So he said, well, you go to the doctor. And I felt that, that um, it's all right, Daddy. <laughs> I felt that I didn't feel confident going back to my doctor because she'd already examined me and she'd already sent me home. So I decided to bypass her and go to the gynaecologist because, of course, my referral was still valid. So I went, rang up the surgery, and this, my friends, is an incredible testimony. I believe I was totally covered. There is no explanation for this, but that God was covering me because I phoned her, her surgery and her receptionist said, oh, Daryl, you're not going to get in for six weeks. Mandy gets back tomorrow from holidays and you will not get an appointment for six weeks and I don't know why but I just felt I just said to her I'm worried that it could be a complication with the marina because Dr Google told me you know Dr Google told me that they can embed in the uterus and get an infection and I thought I bet that's what's happened I bet it's gone and done that and that's what I was sort of thinking it could be so I, I didn't tell her that I Dr. Googled it. I just said to her, I think it could be something to do with that and with the surgery. And she said, well, if it's a complication from surgery, we're just going to have to whip you in. So she said, come in tomorrow. It's the first day back. She's fully booked out. There's no appointments. She said, bring your lunchbox and a drink bottle because you're going to be here all day. And if we can squeeze you in, we will. And if at the end of the day she can see you, and if not, you'll have to do it every day that she's here until you can see her. I said, okay, well, that's what I'll do. So I went in on the um, Thursday morning and I had my little snack and my water bottle and my book. And you know what happened? The third patient didn't turn up. So in I went. 
And that doesn't happen at a specialist, especially one who's been away and everyone's waiting to see her. I know I was covered. So I went in to see her and, and um, she pops me up on the bed. Now all the ladies know exactly, you're visualising exactly what's happening here. I'm hopping up on the little gynaecological bed and she examines me and she looked up at me and I mean it wasn't very reassuring at the time but she's very grounded this girl and she's looking up at me so you girls know the vision that I have. Well, I'm looking at her and she's looking at me and she said, oh my gosh Daryl, she said this is not good. And I said, you're not sounding very confident, Mandy. And she said, no, this is not good. And she said, we need to get this seen to you urgently. And she said, I think, she said, my best case scenario is that you've got some fibroids that have grown really quickly. And she said, but you're going to have to have a hysterectomy and you'll have to have it soon and I'm going to book you in for two weeks. So she wrote it in a book and she said, now sit there. And she phoned up um, QDIs and organised for me to have an abdominal and a vaginal scan. Sorry, boys, the D word. So, have that scan. <laughs> so she organised for me to, to have that the next day, which I was grateful for, because sometimes you've got to wait in for those things, but she organised it. So the next day, I toddled along and had my scans, and of course it revealed that it wasn't fibroids, that there was some form of tumour in there. So we had, that was the Friday, so we had the weekend to consider this, and we just happened to be having a get-together with all the family for one of the birthdays and just told them that there was something going on, that there was some sort of a tumour in there, but we didn't know what it was, could be anything, we didn't know. And that, um, and then on the Monday, um, I had to go and see Mandy again and she said, well, it's not looking good. She said, there's two, two things. She said, we need to find out exactly what it is and she said, if it's something sinister, I cannot perform the surgery. You'll have to go to a gynaecological oncologist. She said, if it isn't something sinister, then I'll do it. So that's fine. The next, so Monday um, and Tuesday, I had blood test, a CT scan, and an X-ray. And I do have, Murray said to me, you can tell any funny stories. And I said, no, but I'm going to tell you a funny little story, but it isn't really that funny, but it, was, it broke the ice. So here we were in this moment where you're thinking, the news of doom is coming, you know, and where I had to put my gown on and take all my clothes off and of course I didn't even notice that there's a little basket for me to put my clothes in, but there was one. I must have not been focused there. So I took everything off, folded it in a neat pile, carried it outside and said to Bruce, now you look after this for me and I'll go and have my CT scan. And he decided that he'd get a better view of the television set if he sat over there. He stood up and my bra just went bling, straight across the waiting room, <laughs> sitting in the middle of the waiting room. And I just said, that's your problem, <laughs> and walked away. And we had to pick it. So it was, I did, there you go, Murray. <laughs> Happy? <laughs> so anyway, so he, he scooped all my gear up. I had my CT scan, I had my x-ray, I had my blood test. At a quarter past ten the following, oh, and, and in the meantime, we toddled in here and they were setting up the chapel and I'm supposed to be working, aren't I? But we came in and we, we said to, to Neil and Murray, you know what, something not good is happening and we're not really sure, but it's not good. So um, we, we sort of did the rounds of, of making sure that things were covered so that no one was left in the lurch. Quarter past ten the next morning, Wednesday, um, the 22nd of August, so it's only three years ago, 
Um, my gynaecologist rang me and said, Gerald, got all the results back. It's not good. Your cancer markers are seriously elevated and your scan has revealed you do have cancer, ovarian cancer. And she said, you're going to have to see a gynaecological oncologist. Well, I don't know. Like, I don't know if anyone here hands up who knows one. Like I didn't. I said, well, what, what do I do? And she said, and once again, this is I'm covered here. I'm still being covered. And she said, just leave it with me. I'm going to just make a phone call. Hung up. Now, during this time, the circus music wasn't playing, but it should have been because our son, our youngest son, and his pregnant partner were moving house and all their furniture was at our place. And Bruce had hired a removal truck in his name, so he had to do the removal. And so, and, and this was the chaos that was happening at our house. And Bruce sort of said, well, what do I do? And I said, you know what? You stay in task mode, help the kids, do that because you need to do that. So 15 minutes later, I receive a phone call from my gynae again, and she said, Daryl, I've managed to get you to see Dr. Lou Perrin. He's the professor at the Mater. He specialises in ovarian cancer, and you're going to see him. And I said, oh, great, good. And she said, and you're going to see him today. Got an appointment with a professor at the Mater that day. So, okay, a friend had, had been away in Canada and she, she rang me immediately after that phone call and just said, what are you doing today? I want to spend the day with you. I said, I'm going to the martyr. Told her the story and she said, I'm taking you. So it was just, I was just totally covered. Bruce did the move with Tim and they got all that sorted. Sue took me into the martyr. Still getting covered here because I get in there and... My doctor, that this new doctor that I'm meeting, and Bruce had said to me, now listen to me. He said, if this clown messes you around, we're going to someone else. <laughs> I'm thinking, all right, I have to give him, <laughs> I don't know what he's going to say. But I got in there and he was just the most beautiful, gentle man and just so caring. And he examined me, looked at all the films, looked at everything. And, um, you know, they do everything on the computer now. They don't, they're not like me. Like I used to they don't do that anymore. They have the computers and everything. And, and he's looking like this, and he's looking at me, and he's looking like this, and looking at me, and he's saying, well, now, you know you've got to have surgery. Yes. You know it's going to be a radical hysterectomy. Yes. You know it's going to be a very serious... Yes. He said, it's got to be very soon. Yes. And he said, mm, he said, you know, Thursday's my, my surgery day, but he said, I'm booked out tomorrow. He said, I'm really busy tomorrow. And then he looked at me and said, you know what? I'm booked out every day. I'm going to fit you in at the end of the day tomorrow. So I then was very grateful to have that urgent response. I then had to go through your pre, you know, your pre-admission stuff and do all the stuff, did that, came home, packed a bag for me, packed a bag for Bruce, and the following morning we toddled off to the martyr and had a really lovely day in their, their welcome lounge because everyone was coming and going and I was last on the list. So I had to wait. So that's all right. We had fun. We talked to lots of people and watched the families eat because <laughs> no none of the patients could eat. At 6.30 p.m., they called me in to get ready. I had to put my little socks on and my hat on and my gown on and all the things ready for surgery. And would you believe my theatre nurse, who was making sure everything was fine and was really calming and beautiful, and she said, I'm a breast cancer survivor. She said, no, it's a different cancer, but she said, just want to encourage you. God's with you, and you're going to be fine. She said, you're going to be fine. And I'm 
thinking, this is just incredible that this had happened in one week. I'd just been covered. Anyway, surgery happened and um, I, I spent a little bit of time in, in ICU recovering because it's quite major surgery. It's called radical debulking and there's a lot to that, but that's not what this is about. So I had my surgery and the uh, specialist, my Dr. Perrin, came in the next day and said, look, the frozen section's looking good, but we need to get the histology back just to see. And he said, your tumour was quite large. It was a kilo. So it was the size of a bag of rice. So it was about this big and it was a weight a kilo. And which makes you wonder how my GP could not have felt it. Seriously, but anyway, so it was a kilo tumour and he said, unfortunately, it ruptured when we pulled it out. He said, it, was, it looked like it was contained and he said, I'm confident it was contained because it had only just touched the bowel wall, but he said, it ruptured when I pulled it out. And he said, so you're probably going to have to have chemo. Okay, so that was, that was fine. So then what, five days later, I think we had to wait and I did my recovery as you do. And he came in and he said, Guess what? It's a grade 1C. Now, the 1A tumour, 1A cancer is like changing cells. So 1 is a good level. If you're going to get a cancer, 1's a good level to get. And it was a C because it had ruptured. And then they go up to ABC, 3, ABC, 4. So that's how they work. So 1C was a really good result for ovarian cancer because I'm not going to make this ovarian cancer talk, but 1,400 women a year are diagnosed with ovarian cancer and 1,000 of them die. So to get a result of a 1C tumour was just a, such a relief, yet I still needed chemo, which I did a month after surgery. I then commenced my chemo and that was um, every three weeks I had these poisons in me and it certainly did trash my body. But three years later I'm standing here and I'm celebrating remission. So I feel I have been blessed, and, and many people do not suffer, do not obtain remission. Um, so that's a that's a really touchy thing to say. You're blessed because you're in remission. I'm blessed anyway. That is my story. And how does that connect to being a soldier? What does that mean? That's like I've gone straight off. But how I connect that to being a soldier is that I think that some of the scriptures that I just threw at you before, a bit confronting. Because I think, in fact, to me, sometimes they're annoying. Because be glad in all things. Seriously? I was not glad that I had cancer, and I was not joyful that I had to have major surgery, and I definitely wasn't happy that I was going to have months of chemo. And I wasn't rejoicing that my life was going to change forever, and maybe that I might die. Like, I was not at all any of those. But there's one thing that I learnt through that, and that's nobody is immune to anything. In fact, in John 16, we're guaranteed that. It says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Being a Christian has not excluded me from problems, or pain, or health issues in my life. It, being a Christian, has given me a way to cope, a way to deal with it. It's given me a peace. 
in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's what being a Christian has given me. It hasn't made me always have perfect health. When our sons joined the army over a period of years, because they're all different ages, they all underwent vigorous training and discipline. Some of them didn't like that. They had to practice being obedient. If only I had known how to get them to practice being obedient when they were teenagers. Wouldn't my life have been easier? And some of wouldn't it? Would have been easier for you guys too, <laughs> particularly Robert. But anyway, we won't have another sermon on him. So, <laughs> um, so we use the term soldiers of God quite often, don't we? We say that. What does that mean? To me, it means showing the char characteristics of being a soldier. This is my. This is my not instruction, this is, this is my message to you. God does not encourage us to trust him. He doesn't suggest that we trust him. He instructs us to trust him. That takes practice and it takes determination. When I was in my darkest hour, when I was faced with possible young death, although you young ones wouldn't think this is young, but I felt it was. What allowed me to have the peace that passes all understanding was that I had disciplined myself that every time I had a negative thought to give it to my God and receive the peace and trust that he has promised me. Philippians 4, 12 to 13 Actually, I will pre-see that. People ask me all the time. I got given beautiful cards, messages, visits with scripture, that much scripture. There is so much comforting scripture out there when you start opening up. But the one that I hung on to most was Philippians 4, 12 to 13. And it is, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yes, I do know what it is like to have great health, and I know what it's like to have poor health. I know what it's like to have family problems. That's another sermon. I know what it's like to have great family times, I know what it's like to have financial problems and I know what it's like to be able to afford great food. But most importantly, I have learned that by the grace of God, I can be content in all things. does not mean I'm happy about it, but I'm content in all things and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 